This episode of Warp 5 is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for your smartphone, tablet, or desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Also, help us keep Star Trek discussion coming to you each day by becoming a Trek FM patron through Patreon. Get access to exclusive content and become part of the team. You'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Hi, I'm Anthony Montgomery, Ensign Travis Mayweather on Star Trek Enterprise, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Warp 5, our dedicated Enterprise show. I'm Christopher Jones, and this week I'm flying solo here on the NX-01. You know, for a while I've been wanting to go back and look at an article that I wrote many years ago when Enterprise was just starting out. I used to write a column on a site called Sweet 101, which those of you who have been around for a long time may remember this site. And my column was called Science Fiction and Society. And one thing that I did there was talk about Star Trek. It was maybe like, I don't know, 10% of what I talked about. It was mostly about science fiction short stories and novels and sometimes movies. And in fact, that column gave birth to Trek Film many years later because it was there that I was really looking at the social side of science fiction in the way that I do on many of the shows here on Trek Film. But when Enterprise first came out, I was really interested to see what they were going to do with the characters. And I wrote an article called Enterprise Early Characters. Catchy name, right? Well, I wanted people to know what it was about. So I had seen three episodes at that point, but I wanted to assess what I thought about the characters so far. And now that so many years have passed, I mean, we're talking 13 years, I thought it would be interesting to see how my view of the characters have changed. I have not actually read this article that I wrote in pretty much all those years. So I'm going to look at what I wrote about each of the main cast today, share that with you, what I wrote in 2001, and then think a little bit about how my view of the characters has changed now that I've seen the series straight through many times. And also, not only that, but I'm much older now, and so what I look for in characters has changed as well. So let's just jump right in here with Captain Archer. This is what I wrote back in 2001. I was surprised when I first heard that the former Quantum Leap star had been selected to captain the new Enterprise. I'm not sure why, it just surprised me. But it was a good decision. The choice of Bakula gives the series an instantly recognizable face with an established SF following. He also lends science fiction experience to an otherwise young cast. And this was an interesting turn of events for me because 
I've shared this on some show on the network in the past, I know, but my roommate one year in university was the biggest quantum leap fan I have ever met. This was a Russian roommate that I had. He was over as an exchange student for one year. And wow, he loved Scott Bakula and Quantum Leap and also MacGyver. And so because of him, I know those two shows pretty well. I've seen them all the way through. So when I heard that Scott Bakula was the person that they wanted for Captain Archer, and in in fact, it wasn't really a question. They wrote the character for him. I found that very interesting. So how is Bakula doing so far? I asked back in 2001. I've heard some criticism of him in the media from those who think that Captain Archer is dull, lacks leadership presence and confidence, and isn't up to the standards of previous Starfleet captains. Now remember, I'm writing this in 2001 when only a few episodes have aired. And to that I said, the fact of the matter is Bakula is playing this character just as he should. It's true that Archer seems a bit uneasy, lacking in confidence. But he's the first human captain to see these strange new worlds. He doesn't come from a spacefaring culture like Kirk, Picard, Sisko, and Janeway. You can't expect him to walk coolly onto the bridge during a crisis and quote Melville. His sense of wonder and uneasiness shows brightly during the Enterprise's first encounter with an alien vessel. Archer announces hesitantly to the other ship, My name is Jonathan Archer. I'm captain of the Starship Enterprise. We're on a mission of peaceful exploration. Oh, we come from the planet Earth. We're sending you a pulsar grid that should help you locate our star system. No charging in like Janeway with an I know who I am now, who the hell are you? Archer is like a wide-eyed child. And the rating that I gave for Archer at that point, after the first three episodes, was 7 out of 10. And what I find interesting going back and reading this to you right now is that my opinion of Archer hasn't really changed. I, I think that, yeah, you know, 7 out of 10 is probably still pretty accurate. I might go 8. But what I said about him playing the character the way that it should be played, that's still how I feel today after watching it through many, many times. I think those who criticize Archer for that performance, and maybe I should say criticize Scott Bakula for that performance, are expecting Archer to be just like the other captains. I think it's important to remember that this series is set in the 22nd century, and Archer doesn't have all that experience that the other captains have, just as I said in my article there from 2001. And, you know, I will admit there are some places where I feel like Scott Bakula is a little bit stiff. Uh, And not only in the first season, but actually other places during the series as well. His performance is not as consistently great as Patrick Stewart as Picard or William Shatner as Kirk or or Avery Brooks as Sisko, uh, for that matter, as well. But I I think he does a really good job with the character, and I think he plays it the way it should be. So, yeah, I think I still feel the same way about Archer as I did back then. So let's go on to to T'Pol. This is what I wrote in 2001. It came as no surprise when I heard that they would be putting a Vulcan first officer slash science officer on the Enterprise in X01. 
My first thought was that they were recreating the original series, and T'Pol was a stand-in for Spock. But actually, they have a good reason for putting T'Pol on the bridge. At this point in Starfleet history, Earth and Vulcan are all there is. In fact, there is no Federation yet, and Starfleet is just Earth's space agency, a 22nd century combination of NASA, ESA, and JAXA, and of course the other agencies that are around these days as well in the years since I wrote this article. Uh, JAXA, of course, being the Japanese space agency. The warp engine has just reached a top speed of warp 5, and the voyage of the Enterprise is mankind's first trip out into the far reaches of the galaxy. So obviously the humans don't know what they are getting into. The Vulcans, who have been watching over and guiding the humans for a hundred years, decide they need a chaperone. So T'Pol is sent with them. In the early episodes, she is a lot like a mother telling the children what they shouldn't be doing. She frequently points out how foolish humans are for charging out into space and how they are still a savage race. A lot of people have said that T'Pol is just a replacement for Seven of Nine. Blaylock also has quite a figure, I pointed out at the time. Berman and Braga assured reporters that T'Pol would be wearing a Vulcan military uniform, not a skin-tight suit like Seven. Well, as it turns out, Vulcan military uniforms for women are skin-tight suits, but it is a little less shameless than what Seven wore. Clothing and bosom aside, is T'Pol just another Seven? Yes and no. T'Pol definitely serves a purpose on the Enterprise and is an integral part of the concept, not a superfluous add-on. But Seven also played an important role on Voyager. They are similar in that they each spout wisdom from the position of one who lacks human emotions and cherishes logic and efficiency. They have a lot in common, but in the end, I would say that T'Pol is not there just to fill the Seven vacuum, which I put in quotation marks. T'Pol has a lot of potential as a character. I think we'll see a lot of growth and change in her as a result of her extended stay with humans. Rating of T'Pol through the first three episodes was 8 out of 10. So I was really big on T'Pol right out of the gate. That's something I had kind of forgotten. I've come to appreciate the character of T'Pol a lot more on subsequent viewings of Enterprise. I also find it interesting here, I said up front, you know, I haven't actually read this article that I wrote since I wrote it, since 2001. I find it interesting that I said I think we'll see a lot of growth and change in her because we sure did. I mean, well, her, you may not like what they did with her. You may think that it's not right for Vulcans to evolve the way that she did as a character, but she certainly changed a lot from Broken Bow all the way through to that episode whose name shall not be spoken. Another thing that's interesting to me here as well is that I've also come to appreciate the character of Seven on Voyager a lot more over the years than I did at the time that I wrote this article. I've come to see the importance of Seven as a counterweight to Janeway on Voyager. And in some ways, I guess that would apply to T'Pol here as well. She helps Archer along a lot over the course of the series. Uh, And, you know, he comes to see Vulcans in a different light. He comes to understand why they did the things that they did, why they tried to hold humans back from jumping out into the galaxy too soon. And at the same time, T'Pol becomes, not necessarily because of Archer, largely because of Trip, and largely because of the Trellium D, but also because of Archer, 
she becomes uh, more attuned to humans as well. Uh, I, I always point to the scene, as much as I don't like the episode, whose name shall not be spoken. These are the voyages. Okay, I said it. As much as I don't like that episode, I really do like the scene at the end, right before Archer goes out into the arena where she straightens his tie. Because I think it highlights how much they both changed over the course of the series. So maybe a little bit too much there about Archer in my discussion of T'Pol. But yeah, you know, I I seem to have liked T'Pol in the beginning, and I definitely like her by the end of the series. So... I was fairly close in my assessment there, too. All right, let's go on to Trip. This should be interesting, because Trip became my favorite character on Enterprise, so let me see what I thought about him after three episodes. I wrote, Trip is the real gem of the series so far. He embodies the spirit of Enterprise and the humans of our not-too-distant future, who are just getting used to the idea of traveling through space and who still haven't let go of their prejudices and hostile tendencies. He speaks with a country boy accent, using informal language and cracking jokes when the opportunity arises. An example is this exchange with DePaul in the series premiere, Broken Bow. Looks delicious. Tell Chef I said thanks. Of course, sir. You humans claim to be enlightened, yet you still consume the flesh of animals. Grandma taught me never judge a species by their eating habits. Enlightened might be too strong a word, but... You'd been on Earth 50 years ago. I think you'd be impressed by what we've gotten done. You have yet to embrace either patience or logic. You remain impulsive carnivores. Yeah? How about war? Disease? Hunger? Pretty much wiped them out in less than two generations. I wouldn't call that small potatoes. It remains to be seen whether humanity will revert to its baser instincts. Well, we used to have cannibals on Earth. Who knows how far we'll revert? Lucky this isn't a long mission. In the third episode, Strange New World, Trip reverts to those baser instincts while under the influence of an alien hallucinogen. Losing emotional control, his prejudice and suspicions almost lead him to kill T'Pol. So far, Trip is the one character who most captures the frontier flavor of Enterprise. More than any other character, he is the embodiment of humanity's current state. And after three episodes, I rated Trip 9 out of 10. So I like Trip in the beginning for many of the same reasons why he became my favorite character, why I like him so much now. But there, I was just looking at how the character represents us as we are today and how we might likely be in the 22nd century, as opposed to the 23rd and especially the 24th. What changed for me over the course of the series was Connor Trenier. He's such an effortless actor, and he brought Trip to life in a way that I know the writers are creating this character and they're writing these lines for him, but I just feel like Connor Trenier is Trip. And I saw him grow so much as well as I just talked about with T'Pol. And of course, their growth and their character arcs are intertwined, but I saw Trip grow so much that he went from the prejudiced person that I just talked about in Strange New World, and Broken Bow especially, to someone who's in a relationship with a Vulcan, with T'Pol. I mean, that was not even imaginable at the beginning of the series. 
And what I want to see in Star Trek and really in any TV series is I want to see the characters that we start with evolve and grow and become better people or different people, but preferably better people. I want to see something happen to them. And we saw that with Trip. And, you know, I mean, I said that he represents who we are today. And at the end of the series, he represents who humans become after taking those first steps out into the galaxy. He probably more than any other character on the show showed that transition that I think Enterprise was setting out to show. How do we get from today to the world of Kirk and Spock and Picard and Riker and Janeway and Cisco and all these people that we know? How do we get there? Tripp showed us that over the course of four seasons of Enterprise. So um, definitely 9 out of 10. In fact, I'd probably go 10 out of 10 with Tripp at this point. So let's go on to Hoshi. This should be interesting because when Enterprise premiered, I was a lot closer to university than I am now. I had already been out of school for a number of years for, uh, let's see, maybe five, six years when Enterprise premiered, but I was so much closer to language study, which is what I actually got my degree in in university. So it's going to be interesting to see how I felt about her at the time. So this is what I wrote. Back when I was in university, working on my degree in Russian language, I knew that if we ever made contact with aliens, I would be the one signing up to decipher their language. Earth languages are full of challenges, but are ultimately all related. Imagine something truly alien. What an exhilarating experience that would be. That's just what attracted exolinguist Hoshi Sato, whose first name means star in Japanese, to the post of communications officer on the Enterprise. With universal translators that barely work, Hoshi's linguistic skills are indispensable to Captain Archer and the crew of the Enterprise. She has the most interesting post on the ship. Unfortunately, the actress playing Hoshi, Linda Park, has not yet been given the most interesting character to develop. To this point, Hoshi has come across as a whiny baby who is nervous all the time and cannot cope with the aliens and ships she encounters. Part of this is no doubt by design. Everything is new to this crew. It is only natural that they would be frightened by the things they encounter. A dark ship full of corpses hanging upside down like fruit bats? It would scare the hell out of me too. I guess the thing that has so far been distracting about Hoshi is the shaky voice and facial expressions that accompany her attempts to speak. Even when she is talking to the captain about switching her quarters, she sounds like she is whining. I don't envy Park, though. She has what is perhaps the hardest job of anyone on the cast, while the others just have to remember the difference between a plasma decay rate and a plasmatic oscillator. I'm just making stuff up here. Park has to memorize line after line written in imaginary alien languages. No wonder she sounds so nervous. She's a character with great potential, though. And I'm looking forward to watching her come to terms with space exploration. So after three episodes, I gave Hoshi 6 out of 10. So that was interesting, because I think what differs for me here is that uh, where I said in my original article... 14 years ago, that she comes across as a whiny baby. I don't think I would say anything like that today. Uh, I, I think that 
It's unfortunate. I still agree. It's unfortunate for Linda Park that the writers didn't give her more to work with. Uh, I actually came to like Linda Park quite a lot. And I, I think she did the best with what she was given. And I think that this approach where I said then I feel like she's whining, uh, she's definitely uneasy. I think that was really great of her because that's how someone would feel in her position. You know, you can have the people who are perfectly comfortable being out there. You know, we know astronauts, they have the right stuff. Well, so far in the 20th century and in the 21st century, that's true. I mean, astronauts are are incredibly brave people to go up into space. But in a future where traveling through space and living in space is natural and people do it all the time, not everyone's going to be like that, you know? Oh, she's a linguist. She's teaching students at the beginning of Broken Bow. I know she's in Starfleet and all, but this is the first time you're going to be going out in a Warp 5 ship and really exploring the galaxy. I'm sure she had been in space before, but nothing like this. And, you know, I'd probably be really nervous as well. So I think that Linda Park did a nice job of portraying that. And I think the writers did a nice job of portraying that early on in episodes like Fight or Flight. Sadly, they kind of abandoned that a little bit and they didn't continue to follow through with stories like that for her to the extent that I would like. Uh, I don't need it all the time, but you know, as we'll find out with uh, some other characters that we'll get to here in a moment, they really did not spread the storylines around in the way that they should have. All right, so uh, in terms of Hoshi, though, I gave 6 out of 10 at that point. I would probably give Hoshi a lower rating today, not because of Linda Park, but just because of what the writers did with the character over the course of the series. I'd probably go maybe 4 out of 10, maybe 5 out of 10 instead of 6. So Hoshi was more promising in the beginning, and then it kind of fizzled out. All right, we've got three characters to go here because I'm not going to do Porthos. So the next one is Phlox, and this is what I wrote in 2001. In another case of an Enterprise character bearing similarity to one from Voyager, John Billingsley plays Dr. Phlox, the alien medical officer, who is reminiscent of Neelix. At first, I thought it very odd that this alien would be on the ship since the whole premise of the show is that humans haven't ventured out into the galaxy yet. But Phlox's presence on Earth is explained neatly in the first episode, and everything makes perfect sense. What makes even more sense is the reason Berman and Braga decided to include the character. Dr. Phlox is essentially the human's guide to the universe. He's been around and knows a lot about what's out there, and the aliens they will meet. He can fill in information gaps that would otherwise make the show pretty difficult to write. He's also like the voice of Gene Roddenberry right there on the ship. He continuously spouts words of wisdom that echo the message that is the foundation of Gene's creation. An example is this exchange with Captain Archer. Be very careful with that. What's in there? An Altarian marsupial. <laughs> Their droppings contain the greatest concentration of regenerative enzymes found anywhere. Their droppings? If you're going to try to embrace new worlds, you must try to embrace new ideas. That's why the Vulcans initiated the interspecies medical exchange. There's a lot to be learned. Above all, Phlox is the model of composure. He is calm and doesn't have a problem with anything. 
He can have a calming effect on the rest of the crew, which is something they will no doubt need as they explore the depths of the galaxy. Rating for Flocks through first three episodes, 8 out of 10. So I I was kind of laughing there when I got the Neelix part that I wrote because uh, initially as I was reading it here, I was thinking that it was because of the makeup. But as I went down there, I think it was the guide to the universe part where, you know, initially Neelix was supposed to be Voyager's guide to the Delta Quadrant. I, I feel a bit differently now about Flocks than I did at the time. I I do think that he played that role, but I think that less so the guide to the universe part, more so the the voice of Roddenberry, the voice of the core of Star Trek, because remember that the humans of this time, they're not yet in tune with what Gene Roddenberry was envisioning when he was writing stories set in the 23rd century and the 24th century. But Denobulans are. They've been around, like the Vulcans also, they've been around. And they are more accustomed to dealing with diverse cultures. And But but to Paul, and also because of the way they ended up writing the Vulcans in Enterprise, to Paul couldn't quite be that voice. And the humans weren't going to respect what she had to say anyway. That was part of the premise of the show. So having this new alien, a Denobulan there, especially someone who, again, like Connor Trenier, with John Billingsley, is so effortless in their acting and their portrayal of the character, just so calmly reminding humans that you've got to keep an open mind. I I think that was really, really important. I'm actually going to increase my rating of Flocks, and I'm going to give Flocks 10 out of 10 because I think that he is an extremely important character on the show. I think they did a really nice job of writing Flocks all the way through the series, and I think John Billingsley did a brilliant job of portraying him. So I I share a lot of my initial thoughts on Flocks. I think I was on the right track back in 2001, but I like him even more now. Next up is Reed. Okay, what did I write about Reed back then? It has been an unwritten rule of Star Trek since the original series and Scotty that every crew must include one member who speaks with a Scottish, English, or Irish accent. On The Next Generation, there was Chief O'Brien, who later transferred over to Deep Space Nine. On Voyager, there was Carrie, who made an occasional appearance to correct the oversight during the show's development that left the main cast devoid of the accent. Now on Enterprise, we have a weapons man, Malcolm Reed. Okay, obviously I'm kind of kidding here, and I can't believe that I pulled Carrie out of the bag. Wow. Okay, you can you can tell how close we were to Voyager still being in first run at that point. Wow. All right, so through the first three episodes, there isn't a lot to say about Reed. He has spent most of his time trying to figure out how to work the targeting scanners and successfully chipped the edge off an asteroid after a few dozen attempts. He's had a couple of good lines, but overall has been a rather boring character. I'm sure he'll begin to develop as the first season goes on, so we'll just wait and see. My rating of Reed through the first three episodes was surprisingly a 5 out of 10, because as I'm reading what I wrote right now, I'm not sure how I pulled five out of that. 
And I said, I'm sure he'll begin to develop. You can see I'm the eternal optimist when it comes to Star Trek and writing. I'm always sure that the writers are going to do something great in the future. And I don't know, sometimes maybe that doesn't always pay off because I have to say, Reed, I'm not sure that this character ever got that much better. I kind of understand what they were doing with the character in terms of how they were framing him and his role within the cast, within the crew, his personality role. But it's really not a lot of fun to watch. And I, you know, I don't dislike Reed, but he's certainly on the lower levels if I'm going to rank the characters on who I like most. I like Hoshi way more than I like Reed. And Hoshi's definitely, you know, middle of the pack because they didn't do that much with her as we go on. But but good job, Reed. Good. It's, it's just so funny. My impression of the first three episodes, this is what I took away from it. He has spent most of his time trying to figure out how to work the targeting scanners and successfully chipped the edge off an asteroid after a few dozen attempts. So in first run, that was my takeaway from what he did. So when, when people tell me right now that like, okay, I started watching Enterprise, I'm kind of having trouble getting into it and this character and that, I understand. I understand everyone. But I promise you that if you watch the series all the way through and you really follow the characters, even if Reed doesn't become the most exciting character, you will love this series. You will appreciate this series. It really is a good series. So what would I give Reed now? Eh, five out of ten. I don't know. I'm going to go four with Reed at this point. So finally, we come to Travis Mayweather. Travis Mayweather, played by Anthony Montgomery, a man who I have had the fortune to be able to sit down and talk to for an extended period of time since the time that Enterprise aired and, and left the air. And I have to tell you, is one of the most delightful people that you will ever meet. Anthony Montgomery is so full of life and energy that you cannot talk to this man without smiling and just feeling good about yourself and feeling good about life. I mean, he is just, he he livens up the room and he, he is a great guy. The character, however, unfortunately, again, it's the writers, they didn't give him much to do. But here's what I thought about Travis after the first three episodes. A young guy whose parents did a lot of space travel and dragged him along, Mayweather is the ship's navigator. His voyages with his parents were in the days before fast warp drive. I think that's the technical term for it, right? Fast warp drive. You don't want the slow stuff. So he sometimes spent three or four years traveling from one planet to the next. As a result, he's one of the more seasoned space travelers on the crew, despite his young age. As with Reed, there's not much to say about Mayweather at this point. I expect that we will see him mature a lot over the first couple of seasons as he encounters new worlds and customs. In that respect, he's a lot like Harry Kim on Voyager. Let's just hope that he has better luck than Harry and doesn't get killed in strange new ways every couple of episodes. Rating of Mayweather through the first three episodes, 5 out of 10. So I guess 5 was just my baseline, and with it being the first three episodes only, I didn't go below 5 because I I had the hopes and the expectations that they were going to do more with these characters as the season went on. Unfortunately, they didn't, and no one got the shorter end of the stick than Travis Mayweather. Although I will say that the idea that Travis has nothing to do and where's Travis 
you know, it's almost like the, the running thing with DS9. You'll especially see this if you go and look at DS9 pages on Memory Alpha. One of the last things that they all say, that many of them say, is Sirach Lofton does not appear in this episode. Now, of course, Travis is in most of the episodes, but you feel like he's not there. What I have noticed in rewatching Enterprise, however, over the years, is that he has a lot more to do, in the first season especially, than we remember. And they do put him in situations where it makes sense. Like, he's the one on the bridge. He's the one talking to the aliens. And that does make sense, because he does have the most experience in space compared to the rest of the crew, except for Phlox, of course, and T'Pol. So it made sense that they would use him that way. The whole idea of a space boomer, though, you know, this is something that Rick and Brandon have admitted since then, as they are talking on the Blu-rays, that it sounds good on paper. It's a great little setup, but once you play that card, well, it's done. What are you going to do with it from then? Because now everyone's out in space. So after they've been out there for a few months, well, they've all got experience in space. And they're going from place to place to place all the time, unlike Travis, who, with his parents, was just in the middle of nowhere most of the time. So the whole space boomer, I have more experience than you do card, well, you can only play it once and then you're done. So it wasn't the greatest idea as a setup, although I can certainly see the appeal of it initially, when you're just trying to figure out who your characters are. So, you know, I, Travis, okay, I'm going to have to rate him as a character. What do I think about the character? I'm going to probably go here three out of 10 over the course of the series. And again, it's nothing at all against Anthony. It's just that the writers, they didn't write the character. They didn't give him an arc. And it's disappointing to me because... I think with all these characters, there were opportunities. And DS9 proved that you can have a huge cast and you can give everyone a story. You can give everyone an arc and you can make the viewer feel connected to everyone. They did it on DS9 with 20 or more characters. And why on Enterprise they weren't able to give Travis and Malcolm and Hoshi more to do, I don't know. It, it's too bad because uh, they, they could have been much better. And then all my ratings in here could have been higher, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 for everybody. So that's the article that I wrote back in 2001, everyone, after watching just three episodes of Enterprise. This was fun for me, you know, to do the show today because I wanted to share my reaction with you. I did not read the article beforehand. So uh, I hope you don't mind that I read to you for part of the show today. I I hope that you enjoyed hearing my reactions as I look back to what I said back then. And I really want to know what you think. So please go through the same exercise for me. Think about how you felt about all these characters the first time you saw Enterprise, whether that was when it first aired in 2001 or whether it's more recently on Netflix or on Blu-rays, when you watched it for the first time. And then think about how you feel about those characters when you get to the end of the series. And if, like me, you've watched the entire series through many times, how do you feel each time you go through? You know, does it change? I really want to know what you think. Now, here are the ways you can let me know. Of course, you can catch me on Twitter. My username is Jones, the letter C, and Brian with a Y. 
and also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Jones. But also we have our listeners group on Facebook called the Babel Conference. And this is a replacement for the forums that we used to have on our website. It's a closed group because we want it to be for our listeners, not just for just anyone on Facebook that happens to type the word Star Trek into the search field. We're having really great discussions over there, and they're a lot like the discussions we have on the shows, which I love because they're very meaningful and they're respectful. But that's a great place where, you know, you can have all the space that you want and all the, you know, hundred something people that are in there right now. uh, We have, I don't know, about 150 or so people have joined so far. We only talk about it on the shows here, so you have to be listening to know that it's even there. Uh, They are all chiming in and we're having these great conversations. So go over there and let's talk about it. You know, let me know what you think about the characters. And the way you get there is to type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it'll come up. Or you can go to our website and click Discussion up on the menu bar, and that will take you right over there as well. Just click Join, and then I'll let you into the group, and we'll talk about this. So be thinking about the characters, and please do come join us over there, and let me know what you think. Now, if you're not on Facebook, if you want to just send me an email or a voicemail, you can go to trek.fm contact. There's a form there. Choose to send to a show and choose Warp 5. That'll come to me by email. Or you can go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm or just look in the sidebar on the show page on our website. And you can record a voicemail just using the microphone on your webcam or your smartphone or your tablet, and you can upload that as an MP3 file to me right there from the page. It's a really easy thing to do. I use SpeakPike myself sometimes to send messages to other shows, and it's really simple, and I'd love to hear your voice. All right, so those are the ways you can get in touch with me. Now, Trek FM, we have a lot of different shows. We have 18 shows in all. We're talking about every single corner of the Star Trek universe every single day of the week. And here's a quick look at some of those topics that you can hear elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. Also, I never know whether it's pronounced Babel or Babel, so I always feel um, scared to talk about it. (laughs) That you don't want to bring it up in polite conversation. Yeah, journey to, you know. (laughs) You know, journey to journey. Yeah. Journey to To, the center of the Earth. To the journey, yes. Earl Grey. Patrick Stewart said, look, we can have that scene where Worf explains why he's in the movie, or we can have my Mambo scene, but we can't have both. (laughs) The Orb. He just completely sells it, and he is Benjamin Sisko by this point. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Well, he better be Benjamin Sisko by this point, Matthew. There's only one episode left in the series. This is true. This is true. To the journey! And this is, I would dare even say, when he... uh, starts falling in love with Captain Janeway. This is the road that leads to the bathtub. From this point forward, he is just ever so slowly fighting for her. And the monkey. Warp 5. They were just like, okay, we know this is the end, so screw it. We're just gonna do whatever the hell we want. And putting Shatner in there, it's just like, why not? Who cares? The ready room. Also, one other thing it reminded me of when they're in space, the escape pod that Trip and Kaitama use. Did that not look to you guys like the ship from Pigs in Space without the engines? Yes! Oh my gosh! <laughs> You're right! You're absolutely right! Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. There are two notes that I okay. seriously made. There were two notes that I made. 
Mm-hmm. One of them is, I love Riker's TV. I question what he's watching. Commentary, Trek stars. Robert Wise, if he's on the bridge of the Voyager, he's not even back at Harry Kim's station, right? He's one of the extras in the background who has to stand because he doesn't even have a chair. Literary Treks. You're waiting for one of the core cast of Vanguard to show up in these books. You're going to be waiting a long time. As long as the three of us have anything to say about it, it ain't going to happen. Continuing Mission. The big thing here is I did it all for the cost of 3ds max which i bought with an educational discount so like 300 bucks i don't think you can get an educational discount on materials to build an (laughs) actual set can you axonar the official podcast when i learned the concept behind prelude to axonar that was going to be a history channel style documentary i just i got so excited like my favorite star trek book ever is david goodman's federation the first 150 years Mm -hmm. because i just love uh, it's it's a history book. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out all of these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite series or in science or music or books or comics or whatever it is that you want to hear about related to Star Trek. Chances are we're talking about it. And if we're not, please send us a message and let us know because we'll work it into one of the shows. And you can find the shows everywhere that you get your podcasts. We're all over the place. If you're an Apple user, one thing that you can do to really help me out here at Warp 5 is to click the subscribe button. The way that iTunes works, the way that search results works, it depends on three factors in particular. Those are lifetime subscription numbers, star ratings, and written reviews. So even if you stream the show, it helps out more if you actually click subscribe. And one benefit of clicking subscribe, of course, is that you'll get the show as soon as I hit publish. iTunes, the store is really slow to update sometimes. So sometimes a new episode might be out for several days before it ever shows up in the listings. But if you're subscribed, that doesn't matter. It just gets pushed straight out to you anyway. So go over and subscribe and leave us a star rating and a written review if you have time. I'd love for you to do that. I'd love to hear from you. That'll help us out a lot as well. And if you're not an Apple user, because I know many of our listeners don't use iPods and iPads or Macs, we've got you covered as well. We're available pretty much every place that I know of to get audio. So you'll find us on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, Windows Phone, BlackBerry. You can get us on Xbox. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. You can go to our website and you can stream from that page. That uses the SoundCloud player. You can also download an MP3 file. Just look on the SoundCloud player in the upper right corner and you'll see the icon to download. You can also grab the RSS feed from the show pages on our website and pop that into any application that you like. And I'm also often asked by Android users, what's the best way to get the show through an app? The best app that I know of for Android is an app called Pocket Casts, which is also available for iOS, but it's a really nice podcatching application. And it pulls, I actually think it pulls from the iTunes directory. But if you install that on Android and you type Warp 5, the show will come right up and you can just click subscribe there. And that way you'll also always get the latest episode as soon as I push it out to you. So check out Pocket Casts. That's a great way on Android. Okay, just a couple more things to tell you about here, if you can bear with me. I want to tell you about a project that Larry Nemechek and I are involved in right now called Enterprise in Space. Of course, this show, Warp 5, is about the NX-01, the first Warp 5 Enterprise, 
which is one of the ships in a long line of great vessels, both seagoing and spacefaring, named Enterprise. And Enterprise in Space is a project of the nonprofit National Space Society. And in this project, we are designing and launching an eight foot orbiter that will be sent into space. It will orbit the Earth carrying experiments. It will be returned to Earth and then it will be put into a museum. It will be called the NSS Enterprise, and it has an education component to it that I love, where students, kindergarten through postgraduate, will design experiments and they'll compete to have their experiments put into the orbiter and sent up into space. And at least a hundred science experiments will be chosen, and probably a good bit more than that. It depends on the design of the ship. And you can help make it happen by supporting the project. And there are a number of ways that you can do that. Now, if you're a creative and you want to design a ship, we're having a design contest. And you can you don't need to be an engineer, so you don't need to worry about, you know, how this design would get into space and get back. It's just creating a science fiction inspired shape and design for the orbiter. And that competition is going on right now. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can go to enterpriseinspace.org and find the design contest and look there and you'll see how to enter. Now, another thing that you can do to help make this happen is to actually donate to the project. And by doing that, your name will be flown into space on a chip and that'll come back down to earth. So you'll actually be a virtual crew member, but you'll also be supporting education because this will help us not only build the orbiter, but also to help fund the science experiments that the students will be doing. Because one unique thing about this is that it's no cost to the students. If their experiment is chosen, it goes into space, it doesn't cost them anything. So it's a wonderful opportunity for them. And of course, the things that are learned from that can also help society advance as well. So please go check this out. It's at enterpriseinspace.org. You'll find all the information there. There's a way that you can donate there as well. And it's something that both Larry and I are really excited to be a part of. And I hope that you'll be a part of it as well at enterpriseinspace.org. And the other thing I need to tell you about, of course, is our sponsor for today's show, audible.com. As anyone who listens to the network knows, I love Audible. They've kept me sane for many, many, many years through very long commutes here in Tokyo. And as a Trek of Film listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible. And when you do that, you'll also be helping us keep Warp 5 coming to you and all of our other shows as well. The way you get that is to go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up. If you decide not to stick with Audible, there's nothing to lose because you'll get to keep that audiobook. But if you love podcasts, you're going to love audiobooks. So go check them out. audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we really thank Audible for their support of the show and the network. And lastly, there's one more way that you can support us. And I also want to thank Norman C. Lau, who is our associate producer here now on Warp 5. Norm has become a huge contributor to the network and a huge supporter of us, and he got started by coming through Patreon and becoming a patron of the network. It's It takes a lot for us to keep the network going all the time, and we want to continue to bring great Star Trek talk to you. So you can go over like Norman did and check out what we have for you at Patreon. We have our goals outlined, and we also have milestone contribution levels and the different perks that we have for you there. Patreon is a lot like Kickstarter, but it's a way for you to support the creatives that you love on a month-to-month basis. 
But more importantly than just asking you to give us money, we want to make you part of the team. So if you look through the perks that we have for you there, we have different ways that you can become part of the team here at Trek FM, part of our crew, by helping us produce shows, helping us develop content. You can become part of our content development group, which is in our project management system. It's a behind-the-scenes thing. You can also sit in on show recordings and you know other ways as well. So go over and check it out, become part of the team, and be sure to go check out Norm as well. You can find him on Facebook, you can find him on Twitter at Norman Lau, N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. And uh, I really thank Norman for all of his support. He has really been a big help to us so far here on the network. And I'm looking forward to working with Norm for many years to come. And I hope you'll join us as well. Go check us out, patreon.com slash trekafilm. And I really thank you for your support there. Well, that's everything I have for you today. It's kind of an unusual show being a solo. It was kind of unusual for me to record it this way as well. But I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope that you'll come over to the Babel Conference and talk to me about the characters. And oh, there's one more thing I have to tell you before I forget. There may not be a show next week. I know I I missed a show recently and then we may not have a show next week either. But what's going on with me, some of you know this, is that I'm having eye surgery tomorrow. And I have not been able to record and edit the way I normally do, so I've kind of fallen behind on a lot of things. And then I'm also not going to be able to stare at a computer screen after the surgery for a number of days as my eye recovers, because this is actual, like, knife on my eyeball, cutting my eye open surgery, uh, not just laser. So I don't know if I'll be able to record a show for next week, but I will be back Warp 5 is not going anywhere. I plan to explore Enterprise on this show for years to come. So stay tuned for that. And thank you for your patience as I deal with the various issues here in my uh, personal life. And I, I really appreciate you listening. And I hope you'll join me again next time here in the Decon Chamber for another episode of Warp 5. <laughs>